I have a scar on my forehead from when I was five years old and I slipped and fell and ran into the corner of a door. I have scars on my knuckles, not from a fight, but from when I was about seven or eight years old and I lost control of my bike and I ran into my neighbor's house with the asbestos siding and just scraped my knuckles all the way down the side. I have a scar on my thumb from when I was 24 and there was a tumor in my thumb and I learned just how wonderful that word benign is. Most of my scars, well, scars ought to tell stories. You know, scars ought to tell stories of of what you survived and who you grew up to be and and what kind of life you lived and they, they, ought to, they ought to tell stories. My scars are pretty boring. Most of my scars tell the story that I'm kind of a klutz. <laughs> Some of you have scars that tell stories that made you who you are. Some of you have scars of deep cuts that mean that you're a fighter. Cuts that say that, that you've been through a battle. Scars that tell what you've survived. There are scars that tell what you've lost, but also what you've gained. Some of the most meaningful scars are the ones that people never see. They're the scars that are invisible. They are from deep hurts and, and bad relationships. And those scars are, uh, those, those scars are uh, painful, visible or not. They, we feel them. We know that they're there. When we first meet Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when we meet them in Daniel chapter 1, in verse 4, it tells us that they were youths without blemish. They had no scars. They had fought no battles. They had no no stories. But they were picked up and taken a thousand miles from their home. They were placed in a a different culture with different expectations. And they would would come away with stories. They would come away with with battles. Chapter 3. We're going to be looking at chapter 3 today. (coughs) Begins on page 739 if you're using those blue Bibles. Chapter 3 isn't about Daniel at all. Daniel's not mentioned at all in chapter 3. Instead, it's, it's about those three friends of his, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it's one of those stories that we grew up on. It's one of those stories we still tell kids. Daniel in the fiery furnace. You'll tell your kids the story, or the, the three men in the fiery furnace. You'll tell people, you'll tell your kids that story. It's one of those stories that Jesus grew up listening to. Jesus grew up hearing this story. Peter and and James and John and Paul, they all heard this story. And it's a story that reminds us that the world we live in will challenge our convictions. It will challenge our beliefs. And we can't be afraid of a few scars. We can't be afraid of a, of a few scrapes or, or even afraid to get burned. Daniel 3 begins. I want to begin in verse 1. I'm going to skip just a little bit. It, it tends to be pretty repetitive in this chapter. You'll see that as we read. Beginning in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. So it's 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And we go on to verse 4. It says that the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples and nations and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, 
the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every other kind of music. You are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And then verse 7 tells us that all the people bowed down and worshipped the image. All the people except for three. We have the testimony of a tattletale in verse 8. Verse 8 goes on and says, Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. And they declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, had made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the, tri- the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every other kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. In front of every one of us, there is a 90-foot tall challenge to our faith. And it stands in front of you. It challenges your faith. It challenges your resolve. It calls you to bow down and worship it and and give in. A 90-foot tall challenge right in your way. Sometimes that challenge is a, maybe it's a temptation. Maybe it's a temptation to give in to something that's that's not for you. Maybe it's an inclination to kind of turn a blind eye when you see other people doing something wrong, when you see someone doing something that they shouldn't do to, to not to not even notice, to not say anything. Maybe that 90-foot-tall challenge is just yourself. It's what you want. It's what you think that you deserve. But whatever the situation, you know that if you stand for your faith, you are going to get hurt. It's going to single you out, just like those three men standing in a sea of people who were bowing down. So what do you do? Do you give in with your conviction? Do you go with your conviction and maybe get hurt? Or do you go with the crowd? Verse 13 says, Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men to the king. And Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up. Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hand? You hear that question? Who is the God that will deliver you out of my hand? That's the question that's thrown at each one of us. That's the question that's thrown at you. Every time you stand up for what is right, every time you take a stand for God, every time you take a stand for your faith, when those challenges come, when they threaten you, how do you answer? Who is the God who will deliver you 
out of my hand. <clears throat> Let me tell you who the God is. He is the God who is able to deliver you. You look on at verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. <laughs> Do you remember what we've already seen in, in chapters 1 and 2? In chapter 1, they arrive in Babylon with Daniel and they are assigned the, the king's food. They are assigned to be fed the, the finest food in the land. They're going to eat what the king eats. But they say, we can't eat this because it will defile us. So instead, just give us vegetables and waters and test us and see what happens. They're tested for 10 days. Find out that they're, they're fit and they're strong and they're, they're fat of flesh. And so God blesses them for their commitment and, and they are appointed to, to positions of honor in Babylon. In chapter 2, the king is mad because no one can tell him what his dream was. And so he orders that, that all of them be killed. And they pray. And they pray. And they, Daniel learns the, the king's dream from God. And they are blessed. And they are promoted in Babylon. Over and over again, God blessed them. Over and over again, they are promoted in the kingdom. Over and over again, we see this consistency in their character and a consistency of God's blessing. And so they say, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. You know where we stand. We don't need to defend ourselves. You think about the people who are closest to you, the people who, who really know you and really know your character. You should not have to explain yourself to them. You should not have to explain your stand, and, and you should not have to defend your faith they may not understand why you believe what you believe. They may not get you completely. They may not know why you act the way you act or why you bother going to church or why you pray or why you do all those other things. But if they know you're a Christian, that should tell them why you do what you do and why you don't do the things that you don't do. By the way, that also means that they are allowed to call us on our inconsistencies when they see us, when they see us acting in ways that, are, that do not go along with our faith. They are allowed to, to call us on that. A few years ago, I was at a party. I was at a party in Las Vegas. And you know what they say about Vegas? What happens in Vegas? Sooner or later, it gets back home. So you better just go ahead and be honest about it up front. So I'm at this party in Vegas, and uh, let me tell you what kind of a party animal I am. I'll tell you exactly what we did that night. We went bowling because um, that's how I roll. <laughs> we went bowling and we sat around and we played board games and we played, uh, we played just a variety of kind of parlor games, card games and such. And, and I was sitting there catching. I hadn't seen my friends for a while, so I was just sitting there around a table visiting with some friends. And, and the people over here at the next table... They were playing a game. It was a card game. Not like with a deck of cards, but with special cards just for this one particular game. Now, I'm not going to tell you what the game was because there's a good chance that some of you have played it. And, uh, and that's your choice and that's okay. But it is a game that is, I'll just say this, it is hilarious when you play it with the right people. And it is also incredibly inappropriate when you play it with the right people. I didn't want to play that game. We were sitting there having a wonderful conversation, 
And, and all of a sudden, we, we just hear ro- uproarious laughter coming from that table. And one of my friends got up from there and said, Brett, you have to come play this game with us. And I said, you know, I, I, really, don't, I really don't want to. I'm kind of enjoying the conversation. I really don't want to play. And she came back two or three times. Brett, you've got to play. You've got to play this game with us. Finally, a friend who was sitting at the table with me, a friend that I don't see very often, a friend that does not share my faith at all, spoke up and said, that game is not for Brett. He's not going to play it. And that told me that if my friends know what I stand for, I better never let them down. I better make sure that that I stand for the things that they believe I stand for. Oh, King, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. (laughs) More to the point, they didn't need to defend themselves because they didn't have to defend God. God would defend Himself. You know, from the time these guys were little, it they knew that they could trust God. From the times they were, they were little boys, they knew they could trust God. They had heard it over and over again. They had memorized verses like, like Deuteronomy 31, verse 8. They memorized Deuteronomy 31, verse 8. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. They knew they had nothing to fear when it came to standing for their God. And yet, right over there was that fiery furnace. And there's that challenge that's that's right in front of you. That one challenge that that frightens you. That makes you feel weak. And you know it's going to put your faith to the test. What you need to know about God is what these three young men knew. And that is that He is the God who is all, he is the God who is able to answer your prayers. But He's also the God who doesn't. He's the God who answers your prayers. But He's also the God who doesn't. And I want to be really honest with you. And There's something I think that we all need that very few of us have and, and very few of us acknowledge. But there's something we all need. Your faith, your faith needs a butt clause. Your faith needs a, don't laugh at me, your faith needs a butt clause. You know what I mean? You've got to have a a butt clause in in your faith. You look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing for their faith. They are not backing down on their commitment. They know that their God can rescue them. They know that He is that powerful. But I want you to listen to what they said. They said, if this be so, Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And He will deliver us out of your hand, O King. But, if not, be it known to you, O King, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Our God can save us. Our God hears us. Our God can answer our prayers. But if He doesn't, That doesn't change who He is. That doesn't change what we believe. That doesn't change how we will stand for Him. (coughs) Sometimes I get worried. Concerned. We're not supposed to worry. Sometimes I get concerned about prayer. Not about unanswered prayers. I, I get concerned about our answered prayers. 
we pray for people that we love. We, we pray for healing. We prayed for a lot of people to be healed today. And, and we pray for God to heal them of their physical needs. And, and sometimes He does. Sometimes God, God answers those prayers. And sometimes He heals the, the people that we pray for. And that's wonderful. But very often when God heals, our response is, God is so good. Prayer works. And He is. And it does. But, God is good even when our prayers don't get answered. God is good even when our prayers don't get answered. His response to our prayers do not dictate whether or not we serve Him, whether or not we worship Him, whether or not we stand for Him. Are we okay with that? Are we okay with having a a but clause? About 14, 13, 14 years ago, I can't tell you how many times we prayed when we started seeing things were just a little different with Connor. I can't tell you how many times we prayed, God, don't let this be autism. Do not let this be autism. God, you have to fix this. We are not up for this. He didn't answer those prayers the way we wanted him to. That does not mean that he's not God. That does not mean that, that he doesn't care. That does not mean that he doesn't love me or, or Trish or, or Connor. Hear me out. God owes me nothing. God owes me nothing. He has, he has forgiven me of my sins. He has saved my soul. He has promised me eternity in heaven with him, with his son, and with mine. He owes me absolutely nothing. I have no room to make demands. I have no room to say, God, you will answer my prayer the way I see fit or I will leave. Your faith needs a butt clause. Jesus had a butt clause. Remember Matthew 26, 39 in the garden? Going a little further, He fell down on His face and prayed saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from Me. But, nevertheless, not as I will, but as You will. There's a verse in Habakkuk, little, little minor prophet Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Habakkuk writes, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. Though the fields of the crops fail, though the flocks be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Though my spouse walks out on me, though I lose my job, though the doctor says it is cancer, though my children hurt, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. That's the kind of faith Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had. That's the kind of conviction that sees us through our trials. Because that's the kind of faith that acknowledges that He is the God who goes through the fire with you. Now, I probably don't need to tell you how the story ends. I'm guessing most of you remember this story. But I'm going to read it anyway. Verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. And the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. 
And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. And because of the king's order was urgent, and the furnace overheated, the flames of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then, King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. And he rose up in haste. And he declared to his counselors, Didn't, did we not cast three men bound in the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True, O king. And he answered and said, But, but I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Keep in mind, this is a pagan king describing what he sees in a burden, burning, fiery furnace. He sees a man who looks like a son of the gods. He looks like an angel. He's bright and shiny. He doesn't know who he is. We know who it is. We know it's Jesus. Because that's how we'll see Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration as He stands there on the mountain bright and shining and glowing with Moses on one side and, and Elijah on the other. That's the Jesus that John describes in Revelation when he sees Him coming on the clouds bright and shining and lit up like the sun. That, that is the Jesus. We know it's that Jesus. We know that's who it is. But we also know that's who it is because of the times that we've been through the fire. When we've been through the fire, He's been there with us. It's not just that they believed in a God who could answer their prayers, who could protect them from the fires. They trusted the God who would go through the fire with them. They trusted the God that would not abandon them, that would not walk away from them. And no matter what their trial, no matter what the difficulty in front of them was, they would not abandon their God either. I can't tell you how many people prayed and prayed for Connor. I, I kind of laugh about some of the prayers. I remember hearing people pray, Lord, just, just let him be normal. <laughs> like, like, I would know what to do with a normal kid. I would ruin a normal kid. You know, I don't deserve normal kids. I, you know, I, what would I do with him? <clears throat> let, him be, let him be normal. You know, in his wisdom, in his wisdom, God said, this is your fire. This is where you stand, and I will stand with you. Whatever you're going through, whatever your fire is, whatever your need, your test, and, and, and your struggle is, there's a God that stands with you. He's there in the midst of the fire. The God you stand for is the God who stands with you. That's why Paul, writing to the Philippians, from prison, Paul could say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's why Moses could encourage the Israelites in, in Deuteronomy 31 verse 6 and say, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. Whatever the struggle, He is able to deliver you. 
And if He doesn't deliver you, He will stay with you in the fire. Verse 26 says, Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. (laughs) Servants of the Most High God. Come out and come here. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the king's counselors gathered and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair was on their head was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. I love that part. No smell of fire had come upon them. I can't burn trash without stinking the rest of the day. I can't fire up the grill without smelling like beef all day long. You know, it just, just what happens? No smell of fire had come upon them. Hair's not singed. Clothes not harmed. They didn't smell like they'd been through a fire. But there's one difference. Their bonds were gone. The things that had tied them down, the things that had restrained them, the things that had held them back, the things that had imprisoned them, they were gone and they were free. Now, my guess is you've got some bonds in your life too. You've got things that remind you that you're not free. Maybe it's physical health. Maybe it's worry. Maybe it's anxiety. It might, it might be depression. But, but you feel those things and you feel the effect. The promise on the other side of the fire is that those bonds are gone. Whatever you're going through today, hold firm to the one who's going through it with you. He won't leave you. And when you get to the other side, there are no more scars. But you know, right here and right now, there's another lesson that we need to see clearly from the experience of Shadrach, Meshach, and and Abednego, there's, a, there's another lesson we need to see from this story, and that is they did not stand alone. They stood in that fire together. Now, I can't know what the 90-foot challenge that's in front of you right now is. I can't really know what your fire is all about. But I can know you. And you can know me. And we can all be there for each other. Whatever you're facing, we want you to know you you don't have to face it alone. We want to be there for you. We want to pray for you. We want to support you. We want to see you through. Now, in a few moments, I'm going to pray. We're going to be done with the sermon. And I've asked the the elders and their wives to open that back door and and open the door into my office. And they're going to be back there. The the elders, a couple elders and their wives, and they're going to be there to to pray with you and just to, to, to let you know that whatever you're going through, You don't stand alone. You stand with us. We stand with you. And and, and we want to be there to to help you through that. We want to stand with you. Whatever the fire, you won't face it alone. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, we thank you for the sureness we have of your presence. We know that you are with us. We've felt your presence over and over again as we face difficult times. We trust that you hear our prayers and we know that you are there to answer. (laughs) But, even if you don't, even if there's a, a fire that we must go through, we thank you that we don't stand alone. You stand with us. And even more, we are blessed to stand together. So I thank you for my brothers and sisters here who have always made sure my family knew we weren't alone in our challenges. 
And I pray that everyone here knows that that is true and feels the confidence that, that we stand together, that we are always there. Lord, this week as we leave this place, as we go into our homes, into our lives, into our places of work, and into our community, we're going to encounter others who are going through their own fires, and, and many of them are going through it alone. Give us the, not just the wisdom to see that they may be going through trouble, but give us the courage and the compassion to stand with them and remind them that they never stand alone. Let us, let us be like your son right there in the midst of their fire, just as you have been there in the midst of our fire. And we love you and thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.